welcome to Pomcast, brought to you by Pom Pom Magazine. I'm Lydia Gluck, and I'm here as always with the lovely Sophie Scott. Hi. Hi, Sophie. How are you? Really good. This summer's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Having a good time. It's been warm. It's been warm. Yeah, suddenly warm. I'm uh, doing lots of other fun activities, uh, such as I went to Harry Potter World and I went to the Glastonbury Festival. Magical. It was, yeah. You know, one of them was full of magical people doing extraordinary things, wearing funny costumes. And the other one was Harry Potter World. (laughs) Well, Glastonbury sounds exciting. It was. I actually bumped into Eli, the gentleman who produces Pomcast. Um, And neither time we'd planned to meet up and neither of us had mentioned that we were going and just kept bumping into each other at random points in the festival. Sometimes a little worse from wear than others. (laughs) Mainly Eli, not me. (laughs) Oh no, you were never worse from wear. (laughs) Focused on the music. That was really good fun. Did you see Dolly Parton? I did. It was very, very good fun. Oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah. And there was also, like, a very good knitting stall. They had, like, lots of beautiful linen and hemp yarns. Um, so I had a nice chat to the lady there. Oh, yeah. delightful. A place and a time for knitting, always. And so the less magical Harry Potter world, how was that? <laughs> Equally good. I think I was a little overwhelmed. I thought it was for my sister's birthday. And I was like, oh, that's fun. I'll probably enjoy it. And then when I got here, got there... I suddenly became this, uh, as I say, Potterhead and was really, really excited. And they have like little um, green screen booths where you sit on a model broomstick and then they film you and they superimpose like you flying over London, over rivers and stuff. Do you then get to keep a copy of this video? You You can buy it. It was quite expensive. Mm. But I bought a a photograph. (laughs) So... uh, one for the album. That certainly is. Is there any of like you and your sister together? Yeah, yeah, sort of hanging out in front of like various bits of. It's amazing the amount of like props and stuff they have, and they have some of the animatronic stuff like for the animals. Um, loads of the sets are there. Like you walk into the Great Hall. I think even if you're kind of interested in Harry Potter, a lot of people just found it amazing. Where is it? It's. <laughs> I don't know. I got driven there. <laughs> That's what it's, it's in a magical world. Did you go from platform nine and three quarters? Yep, that's how I got there. Oh, good. From King's Cross. (laughs) From King's Cross. They've renovated King's Cross. (laughs) They have, it's beautiful. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) So Harry Potter world? Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Sophie, thumbs up. But everyone would say, are you having a great day? And it's very kind of Warner Brothers, kind of Disneyland almost feel. Yeah. Um, Were there actors walking around dressed as characters? No, I think they missed a trick there. Uh, it was just mainly a lot of people with like headsets being like, "Don't touch that." <laughs> no, they were all really, magical. They were all really nice because I actually said to them at the end, I was like, "Everyone's very patient. It's been very nice." And they were like, "Yes, we get a lot of people here." <laughs> yeah, that'd be quite a job. It's probably one of those jobs that would sound really exciting. Yeah, like, and you'd then... see it advertised. You're like, "Oh my god, I definitely want to work at Harry Potter Land. I'll have like a wand and a hat, and I'll tell people, you know." And I work in Harry Potter land and they'll be like, wow! And then you start working there and you're like, oh, it's less magical when you work here. And then the gift shop was about as big as some of the actual exhibits. And the amount, I've never seen so much themed Harry Potter stuff. Like you had sections, like whole like outfits for each house. Like you could get a hat. Everything from like your hat to your socks could be Slytherin themed if you so choose. And they had all the wands you could possibly want, like model things. They had model headwigs and all the animals it was just insane it was quite a surreal experience because mm. it's kind of in the middle of nowhere in these warehouses and then you get there you could try butter beer which was disgusting 
don't try the butter. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like root beer, then with whipped cream on top. Uh, that's strange. Although I like root beer. Okay, we'll try it. But okay. I should have... It's funny, the place where you queued up for the butter beer, like, afterwards, there was loads of stuff on the side, like, empty, like, full glasses on the side. And that should have been a warning not to buy it. Like, <laughs> hmm, the general consensus is that this is gross. When I was teaching English, a little girl told me that she wanted to go to Canada. She wanted to learn English so that she could go to Canada and meet Harry Potter. Aww. It was very cute. And I didn't have the heart to tell her. <laughs> you can't crush a dream like that. Well, no, I was like, I was like, cool, man, that is, that is a dream. Follow it. Because Canada's nice. Daniel Radcliffe has probably been there at some point. Exactly. Yeah. And wherever, you know, you keep the magic, that's where In your Harry heart. Potter can be. Yeah. She'll get there and she'll be really disappointed and then she'll realise that she brought the magic with her. Oh. And she'll have a, a, a learning moment. She'll have a plucky redhead friend. And she'll be like, why did that teacher lie to me? <laughs> why didn't she just tell me? But it's okay, because I've learned. It's all about the journey. It's all about the journey, yes. So okay. hey, how are you? What have you been up to? I'm fine. I, yeah, I had a lovely weekend. I went to a wedding with Felix and some other people and it was like the best wedding ever. I was There was camping and there was a bonfire and there was a river, and there was uh, lots of food, yep. and lots of booze, including homemade strawberry vodka, which wow. was delicious. It does sound amazing. It was great. It was really nice. Um, so that was really fun, and I also went to Secret Cinema. Oh, hey! I've been hearing about this. For those that don't know, Secret Cinema, it's the whole premise is that you don't know what film you're going to be seeing. You have clues along the way, but they're doing special... They've started ones where, yeah, you do know yeah. what you're going to see. And, and you... Yeah, and I did know what I was going to see. And you dress up in advance. And you saw? It. And I saw Back to the Future. A classic film. One of my faves, I think. And Definitely. it's amazing. I won't say too much about it because they do tell you to keep it a secret for the other people. Just in case anyone listening to this goes. I don't want to ruin anything. But there's a lot of classic cars. <laughs> I got to go on a yellow school bus. Oh, wow. It was so fun. I'm so jealous. Ugh. It was, yeah. Well, because when we went to Indianapolis for TLNA, I was really excited about the school buses. Because having grown up watching so much American TV, you start to not be able to figure out which bits are invention, like TV invention, and which bits are real. Most of my knowledge about America is based on Simpsons and Friends, so unless TV has lied to me. (laughs) Yeah, no, so I was like, oh my god, it's real! Yay! So that was fun. Yeah, so it's been been an exciting time. You know, immersive theatre, weddings, all in one week. Well, what do you want? But wait, what was the highlight of the summer for us? Definitely. Unwind. Unwind. What a lovely time. So let's paint a picture of what Unwind was like. Oh, yeah. Our favourite um, event of the summer so far. Definitely. Um, for those of you who couldn't make it, um, it was a beautiful venue in the Brighton Pavilion where the dome is. It's amazing architecture. It's a great room. Loads of vend- vendors and mainly just amazing knitting people. Yeah, just a really great crowd. Really, really great atmosphere. Um, and being near the sea is always nice. I enjoyed the seagulls thoroughly. Not yep. everyone did. They remind me of home, but I know that actually their noise is unappealing. And they are brutes who steal chips. And knock over people on bicycles. Which we saw, which was quite harrowing. Yes, but luckily everyone was okay. Yes. Both the bird and the bicycle riding person were both fine. No seagulls harmed in the making of this festival. No, yeah. no, no. And we also, yeah, we got to... So in addition to all the exciting wool stuff mm-hmm. and yarn stuff, more accurately... Um, we got to sit on the Brighton seafront eating chips. Yeah, which is what my, my main kind of aim for most of the festival was to do that in a yeah. kind of evocative seaside life. 
It was lovely. And we got to see the pier lit up at night. Yep, that was lovely. Lots of Hindus and there was a prom going up down uh, on down the road. Oh, yeah. And there was like a crazy sort of Cinderella horse and carriage. The literal like glass pumpkin style. Two yeah. beautiful white horses with pink plumage, like headdresses. Yeah, that was something. That was that was pretty special. Yeah. Seems like everywhere I go outside of London, there's lots of hen parties happening. I don't know if they just get more absorbed in the London crowd. So you don't. Maybe I just don't go out that much in London. <laughs> but Brighton, it was a sight to see. It oh, was great. Yeah. yeah. And as Sophie said, there were loads of great vendors um, and loads of wonderful people. It was so nice to meet people who came up and said how much they like the podcast, how, like the, how much they like the magazine. Yeah. So hello and thank you to all you people. Yeah, and lots of people who. Yeah, it's always nice to do the. Uh, names to faces yeah. thing. And it's a cliche was... that you have where like, knitters are so lovely and then you have this big event you're like, oh, all these knitters are lovely. Look at them having a nice time to you. Like, playing nicely. Yep. Everyone played nicely. Very together. fair. <laughs> um, and, well, I, for one, got myself some pretty exciting swag. Yeah, definitely. What did you get? Well, I got um, some yarn from John Arben. Oh, John Arben, who was... We should talk about the seaside shindig. The party. He was spinning. Spinning. He spanned the wall. Then he goes to spin the decks. He, oh, yeah. God, I loved his music. He was playing was lots so of great fun. Northern Soul and Motown. Mm-hmm. Bit of, like, Latino uh, yeah. salsa stuff at the beginning. Yeah, it was great. And then you woke up in the morning and you had a song stuck in your head. Yep. Uh, which I, we'll, we'll link that. The Night by uh, Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. Yes. Which John was like, I'll write that down. You'll forget that. So, <laughs> Thanks to him. Good call, John. Good call. Yeah, and the quiz went really well. Sorry, you guys who couldn't get tickets. There was obviously a lot of interest and we just couldn't find a place big enough to welcome everyone. Yeah, but we had, uh, yeah. And throughout the whole um, quiz, everyone's like, these questions are too hard. But everyone was having a lot of fun anyway, because quiz is always fun. But then in the end, almost everyone got more than half the questions right. So you guys, you know more than you think. Yeah, definitely. And it was a moral victory for all. Yes, everyone did well. Um... And we had a lovely band. And what else happened in Brighton? Oh, what else? What did you buy, Sophie? Well, I bought quite a bit from Kettle Yarn Co., Mm -hmm. the lovely Linda, who we'll be interviewing later in the podcast. So? Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Um, Got two skeins of her lovely Islington, which is used in Water Lily, which was a a top hit, top knit even, Mm. around the festival. Saw a lot of water lilies being worn. It's a classic summer knit. So Mm -hmm. I was like, right, catch up with the crowd. Don't be left behind. Uh, so I've got two skeins of that in the colour Pom, which is also used on the front cover because uh, I don't have any imagination and think it's so great. <laughs> um, and I got one of her, uh, the Bayule, the lovely Merino yak and silk. I didn't know I needed the yak in my life until now. But you do, yeah. I've yeah. got some of that as well. Um, and I have swatched with it for mm-hmm. a water lily since that's the theme. It's the top, <laughs> top knit, I tell you what. All the cool kids are making it. Uh, yeah, so I've got some for that and I've done my swatching and it's so lovely to knit with. I'm really enjoying I mean, I just, at the moment, I have only knit a small square, mm. but I will be casting on for my water lily tonight, um, which I'm very excited about, mm-hmm. as I always am when I'm casting on for a project. Oh boy, oh boy. Um, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. And um, I've got the colour Yurt, which is a beautiful kind of undyed, mm. really lovely silvery grey. Yeah, I've got a really deep turquoise, turquoise tarn. Mm. Nice. And... Also got some exciting stuff from John Arben. Was bigging up those guys. Oh, I got some great stuff from Old Maiden Aunt. Yeah. That was that amazing colour. Um, I'll post a picture of it, but it looks like... What is it that Megan said? She said it looked like, you know, like... Um, light shining on, like, spilt oil mm, on the road. And it yes. gets that kind of amazing, like, very dark iridescence with kind of purples and dark greens. And, yeah, just amazing colour. Really, really special. And I got some on Common Thread. Speckly yarn. Yes, nice, nice. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, loads of lovely vendors. We just we can't, you know, it's one of those things we ha- don't have time to say them all. But yeah. everyone was fantastic. And just... I liked um, Walk Collection a lot. Never yeah. seen that before. And I saw some of Julie Asseline's yarn. Mm-hmm. She's a French Canadian dyer who's loads of fun, and her yarn is also fun. Yeah, it's super nice. There's a great button stand called Textile Garden. Mm-hmm. Got some really cute little Dala horses from them, like teeny little buttons. Tiny they're really nice. Had a lovely selection of buttons. I think people kept buying them, and I was like, "Wait, where did you get them?" I'm like, "Oh, great, take <laughs> You must lead me to this yes. place." So it's really lovely. Didn't get to take any of the classes at Unwind, but but they sounded awesome. Yeah, there was some some seriously good stuff happening. Yes, that was great. So thanks to Danny and her team. Of course. A huge thanks to Danny and all the team. All the team and everyone who came along and who re- reveled with us in yep. the joy of knitting together. Took the was... time to unwind and. And now let's wind up that section. So as it happens, um, since it's time to tell and tell, Sophie Scott, Mm -hmm. um, the yarn that I bought from John Arben is in fact for a pattern from the upcoming Pom Pom Autumn issue. Nice. A pattern called Coronis. Yep. Which is a really nice jumper by Emily Ringelman. Um, it's kind of a... It's it's a cropped one. You can make it longer if you want, though, because it's top down. Such Very is the magic, magic of knitting. Such is the magic of making your own clothes, exactly. And it's, it's three colours. Um, and I bought, yeah, I bought three very exciting colours. One of them is purple, which is a little out of the ordinary for me. I've never bought purple yarn before. But, you know, Brave News Horizons and... Maybe you just felt... You know, refreshed and inspired by Brighton. Exactly. The sea air. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, when I asked Juliette Arben what she thought of my colour combination, she said I shouldn't ask her because she didn't like purple. And I was like, mate, a year ago, I would have been just like you. But um, yeah, my brain changed. (laughs) Maybe I'll wake up and I'll be like, I don't like, like, I can only like so many colours at once. You've got space. So now, you know, I must have rejected another colour and I wonder no, what it is. You, you've got space in your heart for all of those. You reckon? Yep. Oh, thanks, Sophie. Yep. Um, <laughs> so that's their great knit by numbers, which is what's used in the pattern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's lovely. So that's my up and coming thing to knit. Mm-hmm. And of course, I will be knitting my waterly very soon. Very but I haven't had that much time for knitting recently because of the sending the magazine to print and going to unwind mm-hmm. and having fun. You know. That's what you need. Busy times, yep. but I have had time to crochet some exciting friendship bracelets. Oh, I love these. Yeah, they're on the Pom Pom blog. It's a free pattern. Yeah, we've got some free patterns. Um, there's a pineapple crush one, which has an exciting tutorial. So I've been making those because they're like quick and easy. People like them. Um, I was also making some background socks, as I like to call them. Just, mm-hmm. you know, run the mill, afterthought heel. Again, with purple. Oh, this I didn't a... buy that purple yarn. It just existed in my pr- in my presence in my home. Is it a dawning of a new era? Your purple, the, the purple age of skeins. <laughs> your purple skeins. I only want to see you knitting with those purple skeins. <laughs> Boom. Yes. Um, how about you, Soph? What you've been making? So st- sticking with the kettle yarn theme, uh, there's a certain thread running through this uh, podcast of that. Hey. Hey. Um, I'm using the. Bayul? I'm mm-hmm. really sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. It's so I think it's Bayul. Yeah, Bayul. That'll do. Um, so there's the Pebble Beach Shawl, which was actually the winner of the Unwind competition by Helen Stewart. This beautiful kind of islety, soft uh, crescent shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was really nice to have the, you know, use that pattern with the yarn that I bought at Unwind. And I went on a little holiday to Cornwall recently, so I could ca- I cast that on 
in the car down Cornwall and then I was knitting it on the beach so I had this beautiful turquoise yarn with the beautiful sea and the sand and it was just a lovely little memory created mm -hmm. with that and I'm also knitting a hat so a little I say you have background socks so just a little hat project just to keep yeah. me tidied over <laughs> um and that's by Stephen West the fantastic Stephen West and his many many coloured shawls SW SW <laughs> um and it's a hat called Verta Twist um which in the design has these little ear flappy things um uh, which are good but I've omitted them for the meantime mm -hmm. you've done that pattern yes and a friend of ours Francesca she's done that so it's a winner she's yeah. done it three times she's done it so yeah she loved it so much she made it thrice thrice indeed <laughs> and I'm using the Madeline Tosh double knitting in the colour Vishnu and my kind of blue theme is this amazing electric blue with kind of a lighter kind of speckle within it yeah I saw it when you were making like, oh it's making me very happy in phase one of yeah. making it and it was looking really good top notch top notch Such top drawer top drawer <laughs> top hat top hey. hat top cat so yeah in addition to wanting to make coronas which is the cover um star mm -hmm. so to speak well, I want to make more, obviously. Obviously, like, that goes without saying. Okay. But I'd also really, really like to make Delita, which is the shawl, mm -hmm. um, which is knit in a really beautiful yellow um, in the magazine. And it's got a kind of flamenco feel to it. And it's got this really amazing kind of double edging, mm -hmm. um, which is really, really cleverly done. It's worth having a look at how it's done, even if you don't make the pattern yourself, because I think it's really unusual. Um, and it does the kind of shawl thing. And it could be really flouncy, but because the shawl, the edging is quite jagged, it doesn't it sort of steers clear of the flouncy side. Mm -hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with flouncy. Hey, everyone's but, you know, I like my shawls to be uh, edgy. Edgy and cutting edge. Um, so I'm really, really keen on making that one. And it looks beautiful in the sort of single ply. So I'm going to hunt down some single ply. Mm. I really like the Celia mitts. They've got some... Ciela. Ciela. I can't I pronounce any of the names from this lady's <laughs> pom-pom. Where, where are these names come from? They are um, canal boat names. Right, okay, well, that makes it all right. Cause it's don't ever live on a canal boat. Yeah, so well, <laughs> it was shot on a canal boat, which is nice. You know, exactly. obviously it all ties in. Theme. Theme. We good theme. Yep. Um, but yes, they've got some amazing embroidery. And I'd really, I've always wanted to try embroidery on mitts, so I think this is a good segue yeah. into this. Yeah, and the, the mitten pattern itself is very simple. So, you know, you can make those really quickly mm -hmm. and then spend all your exciting time, you know, that you've got left over from making your mittens really quickly and spend on embroidery. That's, yeah, sounds good. Definitely. So, yeah, we're excited to um, hear what you think. Which ones you're going to be making? Yeah, tell us. Well, you know, they'll be with you very soon. It's a very nice folky feel to the yeah. issue. Beautiful nice for autumn. feel, yes. So, you know, as the leaves are changing colour... You can knit yourself colourful things to match with the leaves, like One a chameleon, like a seasoned chameleon. <laughs> by Linda Lenkovic, the charming creative force behind Kettle Yarn Co. She hails from Canada and now, based in London, she dyes her many beautiful yarns. Her range of bases are soft on the skin, yet have a luxurious hard-wearing touch too. Hi Linda, thanks Hello. for joining us. Sophie. Hello. Thank you for having me both. 
Well, Linda brought some uh, little form of fizzy uh, carver as well, which has gone down very well in the pop-up <laughs> studio so far. And it's pink. And it's pink, so... Pink. You cannot go wrong with pink bubbles. With mini... Uh, we've got some mini carrot cake cupcakes. So, I mean, I'm not saying this sets the trend for interviewees, <laughs> but it's doing quite well. It's going down nicely. We're just saying you should invite Linda. Yeah, there we something. go. There we go. <laughs> and I shall bring bubbles and cupcakes. Yeah, there we go. It's a given. So, Kettle Yarn Co., how long has that been going on then? It's, um, well, I started the company in 2013, so August of last year, so it's almost a year old. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Are you going to have a birthday party? I hadn't thought of it. I've just got so much on right now that I hadn't really considered it. My birthday's actually this month as well, so that's <laughs> my focus. <laughs> it's my birthday. That's fair enough. Yes, that's fair yeah, enough. Yeah. So you've also been busy with a lot of shows. I have, yes. I had uh, Unwind and Fiber East last month, oh. which was uh, absolutely amazing. Amazing. Two amazing shows and and just met so many people. It was it was fantastic. So, did you meet any fans? I can't say they were fans, but I met quite a few people that um, that I have met through the shop and online, and had never thought that I'd actually meet in real life. So it was it was quite fantastic in that way. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things that me and Sophie have been discussing is yes. how nice it is to meet people, and you're you're like, oh, you're real. <laughs> so Castle Young Co is still quite new. Um, have you always been a knitter? Is this a new introduction in your life? It is fairly new. I did learn to knit when I was about nine years old. Um, my mother taught me how to knit and my aunt tried to teach me how to crochet, but it didn't stick. Um, so the knitting, I knit a really horrible cotton, white, white cotton scarf. And uh, I was living in Canada at the time and in the middle of the bitter north, as I like to say. And so the, a cotton scarf just really wasn't that useful. It just wasn't wasn't a good good, good <laughs> um so I ended up sort of hating it and I put aside the knitting because I just I also decided I had no patience for it and I didn't start knitting again until about two or three years ago now so I just needed something to occupy my hands when I was uh, doing certain things and picked it up again lovely I just can't stop Impulsive. Do you think uh, now dyeing your yarn is because you were trying to find something or? Dyeing the yarn came about because I actually um, wasn't making very much money at the time and <laughs> needed to dye my own yarns because I didn't, um, I couldn't afford the yarns that I actually really wanted. So I've got a background in fine art. And so had you mixed colour before in some way? Not in dye, but in painting. Mm -hmm. So the, the sort of painting colour theory is what came through. And I mean, it, it is somewhat different in terms of, um, I mean, every blend takes dye differently. So there's a whole different element that you would have never really mm -hmm. considered or yeah. I didn't consider when I was starting out, thinking that the colours would just sort of take and it would just, you know, be like painting. Um, but the idea of playing with colour and the, the joy of playing with colour, which is where... Um, the the reason that I painted was for that that playing with the color, so that translates quite well over into the yarn. Do you think there's a do you do you find your paintings are similar to the yarn you create, no, or no. so what were your paintings like? So I'm interested to um, think. My paintings were, and I say were because once I started dyeing yarn and knitting again, I completely stopped painting, mm. which is quite funny. Um, it just completely fills that gap for me. Um, my paintings were. So they, I mean, they, they were figurative, they were about people, mm -hmm. and they were about people in certain situations. Um, the images that I picked were always sort of like these really ambiguous images of the cusp of a moment where either something good could be happening or something bad could be happening. And that moment, you can't really tell which one it is, so you kind of bring your own interpretation to it. So it would be up to the viewer to decide what was happening in the image. 
Um, so yeah, but it's, it's really funny because I think the really hard thing for painting for me was always trying to decide what I was going to paint mm -hmm. and freeing myself from that and just really being able to play with the colors, which is probably what I should have been doing with painting all along, is, is why I'm so much more into the dyeing. Do you know that? Learns. Yeah, that's interesting. So I feel, when you're talking about that, does that translate into the potential of a skein? You know, you give someone a color to play with and it's their decision absolutely. to how that, they yeah. interpret that. Yeah, absolutely. And they take it and they make it something that, that they create out of their own, for lack of a better word, creativity. Yeah. Um, and it becomes something completely new. And I love that idea of sort of offering these building blocks in a way. It's like, well, here you go. This is what I've made. Now what will you do with it? And that's why it's so fascinating to see what people actually make with it and yeah. seeing all the Ravelry projects coming up and going, oh, oh look at that. I can't believe it. Wouldn't even have it's amazing. You know, it's just, and I do tend to gush quite a lot. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but <laughs> exclamation marks and gushing. I gush a lot because it's really exciting for me. I find the whole thing really exciting and fascinating. So, Yeah, and it's nice to think that all knitting is in some ways collaborative because even if it's just you and your sheep, <laughs> and you're collaborating with your sheep <laughs> or you and your alpaca llama <laughs> there's a joke to be made there <laughs> maybe it's because I live with the Scots <laughs> do you think you would ever go back to painting and kind of play with colour in the way that you've learnt to with yarn or is that just not something that you're thinking about right now I can't see myself Doing it. I just get so much more out of the knitting mm -hmm. and there's just so much more to be done with the knitting that I feel with the painting. I just The, the yeah. painting just seems a bit redundant to me now whereas the knitting just has all this possibility. Like I just keep continuing to learn and yeah. develop new ways of doing things and learn the way that other people are doing things and it's just it's endlessly fascinating to me right now. So yeah. I don't know I, I kind of I go through phases. I mean I was a jeweler at one point. I was a graphic designer at another point. So I kind of go through these phases where I do creative things and I don't know, I, I might one day go back to painting, I don't know, but right now it doesn't really hold the same joy. Mm. And I think art school education does tend to take that out of you a bit. I've been told that, because I didn't have an art school education. Yeah, um, it sucks the life out of it. <laughs> so maybe my mother was right. <laughs> so that wasn't the reason she told me not to oh, go to art school. Okay. <laughs> Yes, but she was probably right on all levels. Let's just, yeah. let's just put it that way. She's just always right, <laughs> somehow. <laughs> so I feel like you've put a lot of research into your yarn bases as well. Uh, what qualifies to you as a yarn that can pass the test to go forward to dyeing? I am very particular about the, the yarns that I choose for knitting. Um, I think early on, when I first started knitting, I had this idea that um, expensive yarns wouldn't pill. This was, mm -hmm. this was the thing. Or even just even shopping, sweater shopping. I had this idea, you know, expen expensive sweaters shouldn't pill mm -hmm. because, you know, they're expensive and they should wear really well and they should last forever. Um, and then as I started to learn more about different yarns of different blends and realized that wanting to have a soft yarn meant that a yarn would naturally pill, mm -hmm. it kind of just brought up all these questions for me. Um, so for me, the yarns that I tend to choose to dye are yarns that A, I've wear tested to within an inch of its life so that I know exactly how much it pills mm -hmm. and B, will not be one of those ones that you knit up, wear, and then all of a sudden feel like it looks, you know, five years old already. It just, that, that will not happen with my yarns because I can 
bear it. <laughs> so it, um, that is, that's one of the biggest things for me. It needs to be really hard wearing. And also that the animals that are being used for these fibers need to be treated well. Yeah. That's a good thing. I think so. It's nice yeah. to know where you're, you know, you put all the effort into some, making something that sort of escapes the cycle of, you know, consumerism. Yes. It's nice to know, be able yeah. to bring that from an ethical standpoint. Well, yeah. and that's the thing too, because my, my point was when I was starting a business, thinking about, well, if I'm bringing more stuff into the world, like mm -hmm. I've always said this as an artist, you know, if you're bringing more stuff into the world, A, make it be good stuff. And think about what it is that you're supporting by bringing that stuff into the world. And I mean, I'm learning as I go along. You know, there's there's things about fibers and blends that I don't know, and then I'll find out all of a sudden. I mean, that happened with one of my blends, the um, the Falkland blend mm -hmm. that I had, which had bamboo in it, and I thought bamboo was environmental. And then I realized that well, it's basically rayon, and it's being produced in the same way as rayon, which uses a lot of resources, and it's actually quite toxic for the environment already. Mm. Is this, so is this an environmental issue with how you dye as well? Like the actual like uh, chemicals or add the process that you go through with yeah, that? Yeah, very much so. I try to, I mean, obviously right now I'm working in my kitchen. So I do, I mean, for practical reasons. For I DIY, to be, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. So I need to be really safe in, in the chemicals that I'm using in the kitchen, which is why I use acid dyes, which are they're color fast, they're hard wearing. The acid is vinegar, so it's not toxic. Yeah. The dyes themselves are only toxic in powder form if I'm breathing breathing them in, if I'm not wearing a mask and beating it yet. Um, <laughs> you know, before they go into the water. So there's nothing really toxic about them as opposed to natural dyeing, which is something that I wanted to do, but then found out that you have to use all these mordants, which are quite toxic and I can't use in my kitchen. And that I'd have to do different things with in order to be able to sort of let the water drain into the system and that sort of thing. So that is very much a part of my dyeing. And I'm also trying to dye in ways that use up all the dyes so that I exhaust all the dyes that don't actually, you know, end up pouring things into the system. Yeah. So I've developed different ways of dyeing and using up little ends and bits of all the, um, all the sort of batches I do. Oh, that's good. Do you have a favorite base to dye or could you not choose? Because mm. you were saying they dye all take, nice. yeah, they all they take all the take colors. Yeah. Do, yeah. Well, right now I'm really enamored with the Bayul blend, the, the Yak Silk and Merino. It's just because of the fact that it's heathered to begin with mm -hmm. and you over dyed it, just glows. There's this, and if you're looking at the fibers, you can see it's, it's, and I know it's my blend, but it's so pretty. It so, is. What was the, the name behind that? So, I, first of all, I'm glad I'm pronouncing it right because yes. I have said it earlier on the past podcast. So, what's the story behind that? The um, it is obviously it's a Yak blend. Mm -hmm. So I ended up doing a lot of research on yaks, which, you know, it's not something you normally do. And it was quite interesting. Mm -hmm. Never knew anything about yaks. Really. I just <laughs> thought of them as some, you know, big beastly animal with a lot of hair. And um, it just, it was really interesting to me to find out how pivotal they are as this sort of creature that, that supplies the people up there with, well, up there in Asia, in mm -hmm. like sort of the Himalayas. Mm -hmm. um, it just supplies them with so much. It supplies them with um, transportation and the um, sort of felt coverings for their homes, for their yurts, the clothing, the butter that they put in their tea, which sort of sustains them in these really cold environments. I mean, it was just fascinating. Yeah. Absolutely fascinating. And then looking into the fiber and kind of going deeper into it and looking at how the fiber reacts up in those altitudes and how suited it is to those altitudes, but then remains really, really soft and really luscious and luxurious and amazing. It's just, it's fascinating. It's just really fascinating. 
So the name itself, I was trying to find, and I was just, I was telling the girls here a little while ago about how much I really hate naming. It's very, very difficult for me. It's always been a really hard thing for me to do. Um, the name ended up sort of coming out of this research because I was desperately trying to find something to name it. And Bayul is the name from what I gather, looking it up on the internet. <laughs> so <laughs> Just be, very, be yeah. very careful here. Um, but it is a name for, for like a Nirvana-like valley. So it's, it's the sort of Tibetan valley of plenty where they, um, it's, it's kind of a mythology thing. And I think it's also, they are actual places where mm -hmm. the Tibetans have gone to sort of seek refuge. And um, it's just, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's what I think of as Nirvana. It's like this beautiful, rich valley of, of food and plenty. And the richness of the yarn just seemed to fit it, so I stuck with it and the, stayed there. The colours are quite something. They really do sing on that fibre. They yeah. are glorious. Trying to stay with that Tibetan theme and the yeah. Tibetan jewels, which I've always been really obsessed with, the Tibetan corals and turquoises mm -hmm. and the, just the, the voluptuousness of all their jewellery and, and, again, the meaning of that and what it means in terms of the wealth of their society and the rest of it. So we always ask maybe the most difficult question for knitting types. If you're stuck on a desert island, okay, you're not stuck there yet. We're going to send you to a desert island <laughs> and you're only allowed to take one type of uh, yarn with you. You can have all the colours in that yarn. Unlimited supply. But you get an unlimited supply of it. Is it a nice island? Is it a hot island? Is it a... Well, here's part of the debate. We can sort of, you can sort of paint the picture okay. of, like, mine has monkeys mm. and, you know, <laughs> I'm having a great time. But, and um, mine has ponies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, yeah, there could be, you know, you can decide the humidity and the environment. I mean, the word desert island, I suppose. Suggests heat, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, but it might be really cold at night because that's what deserts are <laughs> this like. This is true. Mm. So you'd have to I'm I'm going to be very boring, I think, um, and and say that I pick a BFL blend mm. because, as we all know, BFL is the Nirvana of yarn. It's it's yeah. it's the it's. I'm using Nirvana. Um, <laughs> Great band. Yeah. Absolutely, it is. Um, it's just it's got everything, isn't it? It's soft enough. It's hardy enough. Mm -hmm. It doesn't pill. It's it's love and esteem. It's pretty magical. Yeah, Aww. that's true. Any yeah. particular thickness, fingering. Yeah, that's a popular fingering. one. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. Well, and I can't help it because um, it's it's for my hands. I find fingering is just, I can knit forever and not really worry too much. Yes. Erin Wade, I keep having to take a break because my mouth just hurts. Mm. Yeah, it's true. I have trouble if I knit with thicker yarns. Yeah, definitely. So it's not just your teeth. <laughs> She's shaking I'm her shaking head. my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, <Lydia. laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> Sweet <Sweetness. laughs> Um, and then the other exciting question, which is my, this is the only second time this question has been posed oh on the podcast, is what's your spirit animal? My spirit animal. Well, that will have to be an owl. Oh, why an owl? And that's, that's the problem. I was worried you were going to ask why. <laughs> um, you could say because. <laughs> so this is where I just sort of make things up. Um, I don't know. I just, because you think of owls as sort of being curious because I guess They've got these huge eyes and they see things and they're always looking and they're like watching and... They can turn their heads all the way around. Absolutely. And I'd love to be able to do that. Much like you can. Uh, there we go. Um, I think because I've always sort of felt like that person who's always sort of sitting and watching and sort of observing and mm -hmm. seeing and... We'll go with that. Yeah. yeah. I like it, yeah. And I'd like to fly. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think sometimes you just know your spirit animal. <laughs> 
So you've released a couple of patterns with your yarns, like the beautiful shawl and your brown low wrist warmers as well. Any other exciting things in the future? Or would you uh, like yes, to do more? I do. I, I've got some designs that are coming up and I'm hoping to release them in the next few months. Mm -hmm. um, it's quite different for me to be designing and looking at the sort of other side of the whole knitting world as opposed to, you know, providing the yarns for the designs, actually looking at how the designs are constructed and seeing how that it's an, an amazing sort of world of you know publishing and mm -hmm. and editing and all these other things that happen when you're having to size and grade and do all these different things. It's it's fascinating. So it's it's quite interesting for me to learn that side of it in relation to the dyeing as well, so that I know when I'm dyeing certain things how it might be used as well. I think it's really important to know both sides in a way. Is designing something that comes quite naturally to you then? Do you sort of see yarn and then say, yes, I want to make this in it? Or do you have to go through a quite a long creative process? I have always been very focused on wanting things that can't be had in the stores. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ever since I was a little child, I've always wanted things that I couldn't get in the shops. And my mother, bless her soul, for a long time actually sold me things which were really horrific, but I wanted. <laughs> and um, I mean, yeah, my entire life has sort of been of wanting the wrong color at the wrong time and then it coming in like a few years later, like mm -hmm. navy. Navy was impossible to get during my teens and all of a sudden now it's everywhere, you know, and things like that where now I can just go to the dye clubs and dye it, which mm. is really exciting for me. So I, I think that having the control over that aspect of it and saying, okay, I want this mm -hmm. and therefore I can knit it and I can dye it and I can have the exact thing that I want, um, that is really exciting. And there's someone out there who will be like, yes, that's the jumper I, I want to make so. as well. Yes, yeah. please. <laughs> that's what I'm hoping. And so when you started your dyeing, I guess, so it sounds like it started quite organically, mm -hmm. but did you always have kind of a colour palette in mind once you started up more as a kind of company or did that again, is it just kind of your taste, I guess, for want of a better? Yeah, I think it, it, it's very, this was one of the issues that I had with painting. I don't, um, I have a hard time sort of sticking to one thing, so I get very excited about things and I get kind of caught by, mm -hmm. like a parrot in here, I see something <laughs> shiny and I'm like, ah, shiny. And it, I get excited about different things at different times. So it's, I think that is something that my dyeing sort of embodies as well as I pull in really bright colors when I feel like a bright color, like the fluorescent pink, that fiery flamingo that I did for the end of the shows. Um, I just felt like having some really fiery flamboyant pink yeah and I think they make fabulous socks and yeah <laughs> that's okay you know and there are other people who love it as well so I think that's the, the good thing I don't have to sit there and go well this is my color palette for the season and this is all I'm going to have and I'm limited to that I can pull in other colors when I want to and I can draw colors when I don't like them yeah which is even better you changed your mind <laughs> when I go you know what I'm so sick of that color I don't want to see it anymore then I can just drop it and pull in something new. And that's the organicness of, of what I'm doing now and being my own boss, which is bad. Yeah. Do you find it difficult though when you make a new colorway and you're like, oh, that, that could sort of live in my stash for a while? Or do you have to be very strict to yourself and say, no, nope, that's for sale and this is for me? Or how does that work? I've gotten better. Hmm. <laughs> in the beginning, it was very hard. I had a lot of things I'd sort of put aside and then I had people emailing me going, I really love that color. Do you have any more? And it was like, I've got two schemes in my stash and you can have them. <laughs> it was like trying to remind myself you are running a business yeah. here. You are not enhancing your stash. Um, that is something that I've really been struggling with. 
Mm-hmm. But getting better, I'm getting much better. My stash is, is minuscule. Yeah. But your stock, your stock area, I suppose, is healthy. Stock is, is healthy, but <laughs> the stash, not so much. Do you ever just drop other things into the dye pots? Like, and you're like, I always, I really want to do some tie dyeing soon, which is probably, you know, it's the most basic form of dyeing that exists, but for some reason we have some white bed sheets. And I'm like, I'm not, I can't have white bed sheets. That's craziness, but I could have tie dyed bed sheets. But do you ever kind of just like, get a tea towel and go like, yeah, you'd be better in this colour. Well, you could, but I don't, I don't think it would stick because the acid dyes are oh, actually for yeah. proteins. Oh. Yeah. So you'd actually have to have like cotton-based, like, yeah. Who has those? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I really don't like knitting cotton. I, I just can't do it. So not me. So yeah, not so much. Although I have oh. done the odd shawl and things where I've just kind of gone, you know, that really, even though I love the colour in itself, on me, it just washes me out and it's horrible. Like the, um, what was that, the Stones and Stripes shawl that I did up in a really nice light swirly. Oh, that was the, the one mm. in the shawl. Or the, the store had a sample of it. It was so beautiful. And I was like, oh, that's so beautiful. I absolutely need it. And then I did it and it was like, eh, on my face. It just like washed me completely out. So I went, oh, let's just throw it in the old smoke <laughs> and see what happens. Like beautiful gray now. I'm like, oh, that's so nice. I'm happy with that. So it's good. So you don't need a stash because you can just sort of supplement your stash anytime you want, I really. Could, but you know, there's a certain limit to how many times you can overtie something. <laughs> well, thanks, Linda, so much for coming into uh, Pom Pom HQ and talking to us and telling us all sorts of interesting things. Um, if people want to know even more things and look at things, buy colors, things, buy, buy things, yes, yeah. investigate. Where can, where should they go? Well, I'm on Etsy. So the shop there is the Kettle Yarn Co. shop, all one word, and easily enough. Uh, Twitter, Instagram is the same, so it's Facebook, Kettle Yarn Co. And the blog is the slightly different one. It's from the Pearl side. So if you do from the Pearl side, .wordpress.com, you shall find the blog. Wonderful. Well, yes, everyone will keep up to date. Thank you very much, ladies. It was thank so you. Fun. Oh, thank you so much for coming and seeing us. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Sophie, how do you feel about today's colour? Because you often haven't been the uh, most enthusiastic about the colours so far. I think the ones that I do love, I'm just really focused on. Like my stash is just very focused to one that colour, but I do like other colours. They all have their place. And green, which is the colour of the cast. Mm-hmm. I like green, but I don't think I wear green. Okay. So I don't tend to knit with it. But I do like like a really fresh green, like leafy green. Mm-hmm. Well... You know, as you know, green is one of my very favourite colours. I feel like every colour we do, I'm really enthusiastic. I'm like, this, this is our, oh, this is my favourite. And you're like, eh, not sure. Well, then we're going to get, well, very soon we'll get to the colour and I'll be just reaching the peak of excitement. So, yes, yeah, so green is our colour of the cast. So green, as you would imagine, um, it's an ancient colour name which comes from a lot of the roots. For, it's the same as grow, as you can imagine. You look outside the window, hey, there's a lot of green. It's closely linked to nature, but you probably knew that. These cutting edge facts that are coming hard at you. Yeah, this edge is cutting right now. 
In many cultures, the word for green and grow are related, such as in Russian and in the Inuit language. I'm not going to try and pronounce any of these words because that'd be stupid because I'm going to embarrass myself and someone else. Um, <laughs> but yes, this association is mainly because of the pigment chlorophyll, which means green leaf, which is why you get this wonderful green colour. Um, yes. Well, this is good. But you know the one way in which uh, green is unnatural? Yes. There are no green mammals. Is that? Wow. Okay. But... There aren't any. I just really trying to think of a green mammal. There aren't any, so you won't be able to think of them. You know, there's lots of green reptiles and green birds, mm-hmm. other sorts of animals. What about sloths? Sloths get pretty slow and then stuff grows on them. Yes, but that's growing on them. They're not naturally that colour. Okay, guys, this is a crazy fact, okay? And I'm. this is going to sound like something that I made up, um, but I didn't because it's. I found it on the internet, which is where all the truth is. Um, okay, there's something called a planimal, right? Not a flanimal. Yeah, because that's definitely made up. That's definitely made up. What, they're, ma- they're made up? <laughs> anyway, a planimal is a creature that is part plant and part animal. Sophie, did you ever play The Sims? Yes. Did you ever have the plants expansion pack for Sims 2? No, wait, you what? Could, you could be a plant person. Anyway. I thought that was really outlandish, but listeners, right, get this, planimal, right, here's an example, the Elysia chlorotica, <laughs> a lurid green slug that lives along the Atlantic seaboard, all right, it gets its energy from solar power by eating algae, and then it steals the genes from the algae, the genes for photosynthesis, and then it photosynthesizes, right, so it can live for up to a year, just, just on sunlight. It's pretty handy. That's pretty amazing. I, n- I never knew about that. I want to be a planimal. <laughs> Some people maybe would say you were. I want to be lurid green <laughs> <laughs> and live on the Atlantic seaboard. It sounds like a pretty nice life, actually. Yeah. Lots of sayings use the uh, the word green, so such as green with envy. We might all know that, uh, which sort of comes from the, the sort of... I was looking into sort of the history of that and why we associate envy with green. Yeah. And it does come from the idea that Greeks... Um, they believed like the whole body was made up of humours and we had like bile and blood and like black bile as well mm-hmm. and vomit and think all these kind of things that were, if they got out of balance that's how we got ill yeah and so one of them was bile which is like, like greenish yellow stuff and um it gave changed the pallor of the victim's complexion mm-hmm. and the idea that envy was such this intense motion that it would actually change the color of your face and how you were uh, which you know maybe it so can it would, like, imbalance your humors. It would imbalance your humors and balance your emotions. So um, yeah, it would actually you would be you know deep burning jealousy would make you green literally with your bile. Um, and also in the seventh century, uh, the poetess Sappho used the word green to describe the face of a stricken lover, and then it sort of came into kind of common use by poets and uh, Shakespeare. Good old Shaky. He's pretty Sh- famous. Bill Bill Shaky. <laughs> um, he yeah his reference from uh, Othello when Iago makes the speech and says, Oh, beware, my lord of jealousy. It is the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it feeds on. Mm. There we go. A little bit of culture on the podcast today. Shakespeare invented a lot of sayings, didn't he? He did. Well, that's the, uh, that's a, that's the real fact. That's a real fact. People, Shakespeare invented things. Anyway, just in case you needed more facts after that really amazing one. This is one probably everyone knows anyway about how Santa used to be green. Yeah, but he's not now. No, because Coca-Cola made him red. Yes. They were like, Coca-Cola is red. Our branding is red, but Santa is green. And we want Coca-Cola to be a Christmas drink, 
but there's a colour disparity, so they just changed Santa. Yeah, and probably based on some sort of pagan idea, because they have the green man, which is a symbol of fertility, and sort of the giving. Yeah, so Santa used to be more, yeah, of course, he was more of a sort of pagan thing, and apparently people used to get married in green dresses a lot, because green was associated with fertility. Yeah. Which but I guess it still is in many ways. It is, definitely. In some places. Uh, but also, uh, important, this is a fun fact, um, they're all fun. Exit signs, you might notice this now, you've probably never given it a second thought, they're all green, because it's important if there's fires in a building, um, if they're red, which is usually like a big warning sign for exits and signs and stuff like that, there has been occasions uh, before when firemen have tried to put out the sign because they see the red glow and it's actually just the exit sign. So it's very important for them to be green. And also, green. apparently green is the colour used for night vision goggles because the human eye is most sensitive and able to distinguish the most shades in that colour. Which is good in a fire. Good in a fire. And also just proves that green is really great well, and justifies my lifelong love. Justifies your love. I, I feel like, like there's a song in there somewhere. Maybe next time, listeners. Madonna says there is. <laughs> Madonna says... Green is really important, and here's why. More, more facts. Green card. Is it green? Yes. No. Wait, is it not? Well, apparently it um, was green. Apparently it's currently white, but I don't know when exactly this fact was... Um, established. Established. Apparently they change the colour regularly at the moment to deter forgery. Hmm. It's changing in your hands. Yeah. It just, it's, like an, it's like something out of Harry Potter. Hey. <laughs> What else? What else you got? Anything else? Uh, that's it. Any cool facts? Any more cool facts? Well, we need to remember it's not easy being green. Certainly isn't. Yeah. You know what else isn't easy? Being a child called Lydia and everyone's dad singing, Lydia, oh Lydia, oh, have you seen Lydia? Right, which, which the tattooed lady. Which Kermit always which also Kermit, sang. Who, you know, Kermit, it's not easy being green, but it's not easy being me at age five. Everyone's dad seeing that. I don't know what's going on. I'm like, <laughs> how did everyone coordinate a song about me? I'm scared. Can I go home, mum? <laughs> no, you have to stay. And she's laughing and I'm scared. Thanks, Kermit. Oh, I like Kermit. For nothing. His, his eyes are like two ping pong balls floating in a pool of green algae. <laughs> He's pretty handsome. Yeah. For a frog. He's one of the more handsome Muppets. More, one of the more handsome frogs. I'm like, how many frogs do you know? I have a cool fact about peas, a traditionally green item. How any good conversation would start. <laughs> yeah, I can add that to my cool awkward game. <laughs> I have a cool fact about peas. Okay, and here it is, everyone. All right, okay. So, um, it's quite a long fact, so bear with me. <laughs> Sophie's, uh, Sophie's looking tired. Let's have a little snooze. Okay, the Joint Food and Agriculture Organization and World Health Organization Codex Standard for Canned Mature Processed Peas states that canned peas should be, and I quote, the normal colour characteristic of canned processed peas. Aren't you glad they're making sure that peas are the right colour? But they do allow three food colourings, very specific ones. And that, my friends... It's how you start a conversation with a stranger. <laughs> <laughs> do you know any good yarn colourways? What's your... You like a big... You like a green. Do I? So do you have a favourite kind of green colourway? I think... Well, one of my very favourites would be Madeline Tosh's Mineral. Mm, wait, that's more of a blue, don't you think? No? Oh man, it's green! Ooh. See, yeah, because I'm, I'm a big fan of a blue-green. Right, okay. Um, that's a grey area. Well, blue-grey... Green-grey area we're staying in. Mm, mm. No. 
and mint greens in general I like a lot but you're right it gets a bit bluey um so who has good greens well oh, what's it called the one that begins with the Z, the uncommon thread one Zatuni yes Zatuni that's an awesome color mm. actually saying about I don't like green Pom is a green isn't it the color in the See, Islington because I think that's blue Oh, what? No, wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. See, now this is a thing, isn't it? That blue and green are, you know, they're not that easy to distinguish in a lot of ways. But they're happy bedfellows. <laughs> we'll talk more about blue next podcast. Have we not done blue? No. Oh my god. Where have you been? <laughs> what podcast are you doing? <laughs> I was, do- I was, do- oh, you went there. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. <laughs> oh, sorry. So to round off the colour of the cast, um, I went to an amazing exhibition at the National Gallery in London. Was it the Making Colour one? It was the Making Colour one. So focused on, it had like a room for each colour, sort of the main kind of Mm -hmm. set of colours you think with the rainbow. Mm -hmm. And how um, the pigments were actually made for all these, uh, you had lots of old master paintings, you know, like... uh, Loads of religious art as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you think of that really ultramarine, the Madonna's robes. Yeah. Um, those kind of things. Just sort of talking about how they extract the like, ultimate pure uh, pigment of this and then mm-hmm. how it was made. And mm-hmm. it's really interesting seeing like how they faded under different lights and they say like, oh, here's the edge of this frame. It actually used to be this colour. So it's very inspiring. And I felt... Wow. And there was a really great bit when they had... Um, they had like a room of red. They had all the cochineal bugs and then they had some madder root and they had little mini skeins next to them. They had a little, you know, little collection of this is what it is and then this is what it makes. I was like, oh, look, wool. Oh, <laughs> I got really wow. excited. Definitely going to go. Yeah. If anyone's, a, you know, if anyone's in London, they're making a trip to London, definitely go. Um, and they have a little cinema experience afterwards where you they have two paintings, like two uh, Cezanne paintings and they have them under different lights. They're not real, they're mm. productions. And... Um, you sort of watch this film and you have a little voting thing with a little remote and they say they shine the lights on it do you think it looks like this or is this natural light and they like recreate the lights that like you know the french uh, sunlight that he would have been painting in and they're like does it look more real like this and they're sort of collating their results to sort of see how people you know understand color because people see it differently so that's fun that sounds awesome a little bonus bit to color the cast there you can go experience color in your own way yeah wow I'm going to go. Good. Okay. Yes. Starlight Mora. Quite quickly. Yeah. Ice cream. Ice cream. So since it's summertime, our top three is gonna be top three ice cream. So thank you to Two Ply. What a great what a great ravelry name. I keep seeing people's ravelry names. I'm like, why didn't I come up with that? It's so good, so simple. So two ply. So you suggested that we um, talked about ice cream. And we have discussed before, with ice cream, does that just cover all frozen dessert sweet treats? Yeah, because I assumed that we were just going to do, like, flavours of ice cream. Um, like but, creamy, milky, iced yeah, cream. Yeah, your kind of traditional, you know, like, chocolate or vanilla style ice mm-hmm. cream. Um, but then I was like, what about ice lollies? I know, and I love ice lollies. So anyway, 
we've gone for all, as Sophie said, we've gone for all sweet frozen desserts in the ice cream or ice lolly category. From the frozen pudding wagon. Yes. The but... very same. So that was our executive decision. I'm sorry if that was not what the top three had in mind, but we're happy to have suggestions, but we might just do slightly might different. Might just run with them. <laughs> we might just run them. Just them. run away. Okay. okay, Sophie, so tell me what you've got. So within this, I went for the ice cream and lolly and other. Mm-hmm. So I think I'd have to go with the classic 99 Flake. At number three. Yes, with your, you know, a cone, Mr. Whippy, flake in the side, mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. And people say, like, 99 Flake, isn't that how much it used to cost? It's not, because 99 Flakes used to be around before pence and stuff like that. It's not 99p. So why is it called 99.9, which is not 99p, which I, used to be a childhood theory of mine? Mm-hmm. Um, because the, origin, <laughs> the origins of the name are uncertain. Um, <laughs> wow! Gosh! For It was for a long time the 1990s. The 99 Flake typically was sold for 99p. Um, however, for the majority of history, the 99 Flake was sold for less. Um, so it's just a temporary coincidence. Mm-hmm. Um, another possibility was named by Italian ice sellers, uh, ice cream sellers from... Um, in honour of the first wave conscripts from the First World War, born in 1899... Um, the chocolate flake may have reminded them of the Alpine regiment's hats with a long dark feather cocked at an angle. That sounds outlandish. But I don't know if that's true. The Cadbury website, okay, right, we're going <gasps> straight to the source. They say the reason behind the flake being called a 99 has been, quote, lost in the midst of time. <laughs> <laughs> at least they're acknowledging that. Yeah. That's good. I mean, because they could have made up a really exciting story and we would have just believed it. Except for that other story that we yeah. didn't believe because it was definitely not true. It says um, an old Cadbury's uh, paper which states the name came from the guard of the Italian king, which consisted of 99 men, and any- subsequently anything really special first class was known as a 99. Oh. So... But you've put it in third place, even though it's really special in first class. Oh, hey. So it's been lost to the mists of time. <laughs> I'm just going to say reasons for things that happen now. Oh... Uh, <laughs> The mist of time have settled in <laughs> on my brain. <laughs> okay, so maybe you know, maybe it's a different type of day. I want a 99. It can be number one because it's so It's pretty special. Mm-hmm. Number two, I go for a Twister Lolly. Yes. Which are a classic kind of treat. Uh, they, I realise they're pineapple flavoured, which I don't really like pineapples. What? Why? Um, they're not pineapple. No, lime. it's not. It's what, lime and pineapple, what? apparently. But it's, you know, when you eat something and it's blue and it's raspberry and you're yeah. like, okay, yeah, this tastes like raspberries. It might be just one of those things you just eat flavoured ice. You're like, delicious. They used to be more green than they are now. Hey. They used to be more We need some bright. pea colour regulations on these <laughs> Well, no, because now they are the colour of peas. Mm. They shouldn't be. They should be the colour of lurid sea slugs that are planimals. <laughs> also, they used to have jokes on the lolly stick, which I think is a classic, an essential feature of any lolly. Yeah, I know, it's a real shame. Or maybe they just ran out of jokes. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> there was just one guy left writing all the jokes and he was like, I, I can't do it anymore, guys. I can't do it anymore. It was over. They need you. They need me to come up with the jokes. There mm-hmm. we go. That would be my new job. Or we could just use the jokes that my brother used to make up when he was little. <laughs> like what? Like, like, why does the cat have three legs? Why? Because it does. Hmm, that's not a joke. <laughs> that's just an arsey child. <laughs> He thought it was hilarious. Well, all right. It's context, maybe. It's how you tell them. So it's a bad joke, unacceptable, and it has to be at least... I guess you're right. It's not really a joke, is it? No, it's a statement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah, Twister Lollies, great. They're still great. They're still great. They're still good. They're just a little <laughs> less green. They're still good. Just a little airborne. <laughs> um, so number one, I'm going to sound very uh, refined now. I'd have to go for a sorbet. 
Just any sorbet. Any sorbet, preferably a lemon sorbet or mm-hmm. some sort of berry sorbet. Nice. My sister actually, she didn't even know that this was going to be the topic. And mm-hmm. I went over to her house the other day and she's like, oh, I bought ice cream. And I was like, oh, nice, thank you. And she's like, I know you would have preferred sorbet. And I was like, I would. You know me so well. My sister prefers sorbet. She once made an outlandish statement that she would never eat ice cream again. She would eat sorbet for the rest of her life. Wow. That's commitment I can't yeah. stick to. She didn't stick to it or anything. Oh, right. Okay. She just like made that as a... And I was like, you can't say that because that's just not true. It's how you get people's attention. It's how you get front, you know, front page news. That's true. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well... I applaud your choices, Sophie. My fruit and ice delish. Mm-hmm. What about you? All right, I'm going to challenge you with... I've got a lot of slashes in my top three, which mm. strictly isn't a top three, so I'm going to narrow it down a little bit as we go just along. Just a melted pool yeah. of ice cream. I'll just melt them all together. Ice okay. cream soup. Delicious. Yum. You know what, though? I don't like it when ice cream... Ice cream has to be, like, not melted at all. Mm. I don't like it when people leave it to melt a bit. Oh, right, well... Freaks me out. We're never eating ice cream together, then. No! Well, we have to have separate ice cream. You yep. can't be eating out the same tub. No. What? Like okay. Ben and Jerry's tub, I mean, okay. or something. Okay. I don't mean, like, the same tiny little tub at the movies. <laughs> Cine- anyway. Cinema ice cream. <laughs> so, at number three, I have Feast slash Calippo. So, I'm going to go with a Calippo. No, Feast. Today I'm in a Feast mood. I love how the chocolate bit in the middle of Feast is just not chocolate. I've had one of those for ages. Does it have, like... Red at the bottom and the red ice at the bottom? No, oh, no, I think that's something a fab. Else. That's a fab. Oh, God. A feast is the chocolate one that has, like, a solid chocolate bit in the middle mm-hmm. and then chocolate ice cream and then, like, a sort of nutty chocolate coating on the outside. Why don't you just eat a slab of chocolate? Because <laughs> I want the oh, chocolate right, sorry. in the middle okay, sorry. to taste like wax and be confusing. Because it doesn't, me- it doesn't like, melt. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that would be a central part of it, wouldn't it? Yeah. So, like, you eat your ice cream and you get to the middle bit and the chocolate is still kind of solid. And it's like, hmm, what are you? But it's really good. So I like it. Number two, right, this would have been a twister because mm. I love twisters as well. Well, you'd be right. Yes. But recently, and this is a recent addition to the frozen dessert section in my local shop. Okay. It's a mojito solero. This is new and exotic. I have not tried these. It's really good. So wait, uh, Solero. It's Solero. It's definitely a mojito flavored ice lolly. Soleros, I think they have like vanilla ice cream inside, then like a fruity outside. Yeah, I mean, I guess is Solero also a brand? It's not, is it? So then why is it called a Solero? Anyway, either way, it is all the flavors of a mojito, mm-hmm. and it even has a tiny bit of rum in it. What? It's good. <sighs> Try it. But if we were in a land without mojito Soleros, which we were until very recently, <laughs> those dark, dark ages of civilization. Dark, yeah, I know. Before the well, that was in the mists of time, mm, and mm, now yes. we are in the what's not mist clouds of time. No, the brilliant sunshine of now, of yep. the present. So now that we're in the sunshine of the present, with our spotless minds, we have no twisters. So we have mojito soleros, and at number one, this is very very specific. Yeah, I think that's what we need. Yeah, you can choose your favorite something. You can't just be like, okay. oh, I kind of like something. No, no, but this is like from a very particular ice cream parlor. Mm-hmm. So when I was a teenager in Swansea, I worked at an ice cream parlor called Verdi's. Mm-hmm. I worked there for a long time. Is it still there? It's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I go there and I eat ice cream there when I go back to Swansea. And I pretend not to recognize any of the people who still work there. <laughs> Cold, man. Oh, Cold like, like the ice, the ice cream. cream. When, you, when you train with ice cream your whole life, you just you can't be cold. Um, and so they serve a particular sundae there. I don't think the menu has changed there for a really, really long time, which is a good thing. 
Okay, it's called, I think it's called a hazelnut basket sundae, right? And it goes like this. It has um, a chocolate wafer basket that you put inside the glass. Mm -hmm. And then it has two scoops of hazelnut ice cream and one scoop of vanilla, hot chocolate fudge sauce, Ooh, yes. whipped cream, oh. and hazelnut crunch, which is a mystery substance. And actually, it's a little bit like the crunchy stuff in a feast. It's like just like general nutty crunchy goodness. Mm -hmm. And it is really tasty. Flake? I think you need a flake on the top. Yeah, or, you can put a flake in it. Or like a glass of cherry just for comedy value. Sure. I mean, actually, yeah, the other one that I would have if I couldn't have that as my top mm. would be vanilla ice cream with the che Moreno cherries on it and whipped cream. Basically, my number one is just ice cream from Verdi's because, uh, you know, it's like being a fun teenager all over again and almost puking eating ice cream all summer. Which is obviously the dream anyone wants for summer. But that is lost to the mists of time. Oh, and maybe the podcast is now being archived to the mists of time. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll be back soon with more exciting stories and facts. Yeah. And um, hopefully you guys will get a chance to see an issue of our new autumn magazine. Let us know what you think and keep in touch. Bye. Love you. Love you. Bye. bye. Homecast is produced by Lydia Gluck and Sophie Scott, with lots of help from Eli Block. You can find more Eli-related music at goodgirlandthebadtimes.com. Thanks to Linda Lenkovic of Kettle Yarn Co., who was our interviewee today. And thanks, as always, to Megan Fernandez, who is the co-founder and co-editor of Pompom -Pom Magazine. And, of course, thanks to all you Pompom -Pom buyers, subscribers and listeners. You can visit us at pompommag.com. Press put this? Yes.